Paddlebridge Kayak Tours is not your average tour company. Their motto, Access, Stewardship, Excellence, is infused into every offering. Guide Amber Lynham, a.k.a. Sparky, and founder and guide Kaylin Keir, a.k.a. Beaver, entertain as much as they educate while giving guests a front row seat to the history, wildlife, and surroundings of the iconic Mississippi or Minneapolis lakes. Thanks to these guardians of history, social justice champions, environmental stewards, and really, really fun people, the waters of the Twin Cities are becoming more accessible to everyone. Coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota, a conversation about the great and sometimes not so great outdoors. I'm your host, Jody Gruen, and we do this for fun. Hey, it's Jody, and today I'm so excited to share with you the work of two pa- people who are passionate about getting people outdoors and specifically on the water. I always say water is a healer, and these two and their work at Paddlebridge Guide Collective embody this statement. So before we begin, really, um, I just want to give a shout out to Devin Brown for making the connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so then let's um, talk a little bit about um, nicknames. Okay. okay. So um, this is a thing that I'm understanding about the outdoors community. Um, I didn't grow up doing outdoor adventures or sport or anything like that, but it seems to me that there's always nicknames in this space. Mm. Um, and I think it's a great way to start because I think it will explain to listeners sort of a bit about your personality. So I'm wondering if you could each share with us nicknames and how you got them. Yeah. Um, my uh, it actually started as a trail name, Sparky, um, was given to me by a friend on the Appalachian Trail. We were a section hiking it, and at least with trail names, you have to be given one. You can't choose it yourself, and it's something that stands out to other hikers or outdoor adventurers about your style in the outdoors, your personality, um, and so I was given Sparky as uh, someone who often... Um, instigated outdoor adventures. I I kind of sparked the idea for a lot of our trips. Um, And so my buddy Dave, hey Dave, I know you're going to listen to this, um, nicknamed me Sparky. I think that same trip, um, I nicknamed him Giggles, though I'm not sure he adopted it for (laughs) himself. But he's just full of life, very lively spirit. But I like Sparky. I didn't use it a whole lot until I then, uh, a few years later, started river guiding um and i'd been on a paddling trip out in the cascade mountains in washington um and one of my rafting guides there his name was captain crunch is what he went by and in the whitewater paddling community that's kind of like the surfing of paddling sports is you know was using lingo like yeah, what's up, bro? That's gnarly. <laughs> and so it's really just this kind of like laid back guy who everyone called Captain Crunch. Um, and uh, so then when I started my career as a river guide, um, I adopted Sparky as just something fun to use. And what's really cool, having moved back to Minnesota from the East Coast, uh, is Sparky, if anyone grew up going to the Como Zoo, is the name of a famous seal at the zoo and seals can go on both land and in water and so it serves me well working in Minnesota where I like to recreate both on land and in the water so it's also got this fun double uh, hometown meeting that I've adopted to it. 
Amber, you really are a storyteller. This is beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Oh, thank you. I've been told that once or twice. Uh-huh. As for as for me, so I will say that I'm I just I just love having you know having fun with language and names uh, are a way to to bring that out. When Sparky came on the scene in Paddlebridge uh, last summer, that was 2022. Uh, having having this nickname where she's I think she just decided like I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna go I'm gonna see if it sticks here and immediately I who love having fun was like yes that's a fun thing to do let's do it and so I was like well what what are we all gonna be right and so I eventually landed on beaver for a little bit it was uh beaver queen well I, I uh, think how it was going is because I gave you the context that you can't pick your own so it's more like on a handful of paddling trips you started like tossing out some ideas for me to like consider to you. And so I was trying out different ones on different river trips and eventually Beaver's just kind of the one that stuck. So it was you, 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 you gave me some ideas to go with and I think just right. over time trying out. Another one was like, yeah, Beaver Queen, Kingfisher, and Beaver's just kind of the one that you like. the one that sticks. Stuck. Yeah, <laughs> and, and like I remember I advocated for it. Well, yeah, I like that we can't pick our own, but I think we can we can advocate for it. We can influence. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I ended up with Beaver and I get asked all the time on when I introduce myself as that on tours. Now, I also use my regular name. I say whatever is easiest for you to follow. So in the outdoor community, I think there's a lot of difference between how nicknames are used in the outdoor communities. Uh, like, I think I notice a bunch in the climbing gym, for example. But for me, I'm just like, whatever will help you remember me. Uh, if you yell help, I will also respond. <laughs> but Beaver, for me, uh, came along because in the pandemic, we were all we all had more time to uh, go into um, some some rabbit holes, or for me, it was a beaver hole. Um, so I, rather than rather than uh, you know f- moving the business to renting that summer, we played it really safe, and we wanted to be sure that it was you know going to be safe because we didn't know during COVID what was going to happen. So I started listening to a podcast called The Wild with Chris Morgan, and his episode on beavers was incredible. I I learned so much. Um, for example, there were 300 million on the continent before the fur trade, or close to 400 million, and then brought down to about 185,000 total. Um, and that's you know that's just one of the many many things. So for me, it was just about you know they're an industrious creature. Um, they are they're, they're pretty cute. They're kind of weird. They they eat wood they get nutrients from bark i mean and and they're nature's engineers you know if we gave them carte blanche of uh of our whole continent we would see a lot of our water problems go away after we like had to remove a bunch millions of people from where we're living on wetlands now anyway it gets complicated but that's um that's my relationship with that i will say uh not not all guides take to nickname some oh, some okay. Uh, one one of our guides uh, said, "Well, it's more of a thing that they would use if they were going on multi-day trips." So there's some interesting uh, diversity within the guiding community. So people have their own theories on nicknames and mm-hmm. when is the appropriate time to use them. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think okay. it also depends on when you kind of got your start. If you started using your nickname from the start, people will more likely identify with it. Um, some of our other guides are trying to brand their 
themselves and expand their own name as um, authorities in the outdoor communities uh, here and you know in the, in the broader region and nationwide and so they've already been guiding for like a handful of years um, and so it's more likely people will know them by their name rather than a nickname so it's easier to just like stick with that right it. so it's like a brand yeah okay yeah got it okay well let's jump into this paddle bridge tell us about paddle bridge and why it's more than just a name Mm. Well, when we began Paddle Bridge, it was 2018, but you might say the seeds or the uh, the struts of the bridge were created back in 2011, 2010. Um, I, I began working with a number of guides at a place called Above the Falls Sports that no longer exists. Um, working for a fellow named Bob Schmitz, who had this idea that people should be getting on the river. It wasn't uh, being utilized because it had been this industrial place, especially up in in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, so in the North Loop, we would walk down, we would put the kayaks on roller carriers and walk down about a half mile uh, to Bassett Creek Park and put in there. And so over several years, our the guides that eventually started Paddle Bridge when Bob retired, we we learned so much. We accumulated so much about this little place, and we became tethered to this place. This you know, a couple mile stretch between. Well, I suppose it's more like a 20, 20 or so mile stretch between Coon Rapids and St. Paul that like really we run most of our trips on. And so when Bob decided to retire in twenty seventeen, we thought this is not the time to be getting off the river. This is exactly the time to be getting on. And the reason for that is not only our personal connection to the river and our, our investment in guiding, but the whole reason for that being like, there has been a, a real sea change or river change of, um, of, of paradigm uh, around, around the river and around how the communities that live around this river here uh, are interacting with it. Uh, Case in point, still to this day, we still get a lot of people on the banks as we're going by on our tours on the banks of the river that say, I didn't know you could do that. Mm -hmm. And that was happening back then. It's happening less now, but the whole reason that, uh, that we decided to start Paddle Bridge is because we just saw such a gap between people who are comfortable on the river uh, which were very, very few at the time, and we still were sharing it with barges at the time, um, and and people who might not even realize you can go on the river. So there's that there's that gap. There's a lot that goes into that gap, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, we wanted to be that bridge. And forgive me, I I haven't heard you mention it yet, but maybe you did, and I just wasn't paying attention. Either <laughs> either is likely. Um, but just wanted to say that the river we're talking about is the Mississippi River, right? Um, there's several flowing Key into detail. it, <laughs> um, but the, the river that we primarily guide on and are passionate about and wanting to improve the access um, to and be better stewards of is this Mississippi River that is protected national park shoreline that runs through so many of our backyards. 
How about misconceptions? So I asked a few friends about their thoughts. I told them that I was going to be talking with you today. And mm. when I actually had, because I've had the experience of going on one of your tours and it was amazing and we'll talk about that too. Um, but when I told people, one, that I did that and two, that I was going to be talking to you today, I'm like, they, I got words like powerful and dangerous, dirty, polluted, gross, unpredictable, uh-huh. risky, um, so how does this ex- experience with Paddlebridge help change people's perceptions of the river? Is it possible? Having grown up in Blaine, I grew up visiting the Coon Rapids Dam quite often, fishing just above the dam there with my father and brother, uh, walking along the shores of both sides of the river there in Brooklyn Park and Coon Rapids. But I never really knew of the Mississippi River as a place to recreate on. It's just something I drove over on the highway. Uh, And so when I was looking to take my guiding career closer to the Twin Cities instead of going to northern Minnesota every weekend. Um, I was looking for outfitters in this area so that I could have essentially the best of both worlds of uh, living someplace affordable where I had family and friends uh, already here. I wanted to maintain that community and see what I could make of a career guiding and so I knew I'd have to do that uh, focusing my search a little closer to home and I found Paddlebridge. They guide on the Mississippi River Um, and it was really through them that I was introduced to the river as this untapped source of recreation. I I guess I won't say untapped because we're there and there's other organizations there but really um, a hidden gem in terms of places to get out um, that are relatively easy to access if you know where to search Um, and I love their approach of just connecting community um, to our natural spaces specifically our waterways and doing so in a way that helps uh, facilitate um, growing our river communities improving access through skill sharing um, helping folks out with like equipment um, even some of the community programming that they do with like adaptive um, youth scholarships, um, river cleanups. It's, it was just something that really impressed me. Um, and being such a young team of founders, um, there was a lot of energy. And so I saw Paddlebridge as a place that I could grow uh, both with my career and the Mississippi as a place that I saw so much potential for me to learn about. Um, And so it was really like through them that they helped reshape my relationship to the river, teach me about how there's uh, no more commercial navigation really north of St. Paul anymore. And so especially the Minneapolis stretch there um, is so much cleaner than it was even 10 years ago. And with the right skills, knowledge um, it can be a safe place and clean space um, to go swimming to fish to boat Um, it's just a matter of um, knowing like how to do so safely Beavs I don't know if you want to expand on to that well and just in terms of like you're talking about you know how Paddlebridge inspired you and that's really um, it's great to remember because you're you're so ingrained now in and essential to what we do Um, I think for for us, you know, we come, all the different guides came from a lot of different places. But for me, I went to the university. I came to Minneapolis for the U, as they call it, in uh, 2007. And uh, in that, in the time, in those four years, there were many 
there are many classes and creative um, projects that ended up coming up around the river, and it just became this place, this part of living here that was clearly, it was so clearly connected to even like a 101, 1001 geology course. Like our, we happened to have a very cool professor who, you know, had gone down when they did the drawdown, when, when the Army Corps of Engineers every seven years takes the dams down and that you can get onto the river. So that was like the first time I saw, oh yeah, he, he showed us photos of these fossils they found and these, uh, these rock, rock cuts, you know, there are so many people that inspired me to get into the river. Um, so beyond the geology professor, there ha- there have been um, many different projects over the last, I think, 25 or so years um, that came together in something called River First Initiative. And River First has been, um, it included a lot of projects that are now coming to life in, in the real world. Um, back when I was in college, it all seemed very like, idealic idealistic and um uh theoretical like oh they're going to build an island out of recycled trash maybe now that vision didn't quite come to pass but they did recreate a historical island at hall's island there right near boom island um and that's part of this wetland rehabilitation um where they're just in a tiny stretch of the river recreating um what we used to just fill in with concrete basically um for industry we used to hammer this mississippi river into submission to make it like a highway like any any commercial highway um and so in that little tiny stretch there's they're repopulating river mussels that were endangered um they planted indigenous prairie wildflowers on the banks and Basically, you just get a tiny little stretch at the beginning of many of our tours or at the end of some others where you see just how beautiful and how much the birds and the bees and the ducks and the turtles and herons, plovers. And the beavers. And the beavers, (laughs) yes, and otters and muskrats, how they vouch for this rehabilitation. So anyway, from theory to practice, it's all happening. And that's what I was talking about when I thought this is the time to be on the river because countless parks are being created where there was industry. The Upper Harbor Terminal is a huge one, 30-year project overall. Um, And that was part of that river first. Um, And so I was so lucky to have some professors. I went for theater, but also was involved in cultural studies. Um, But in an interdisciplinary sort of way, there are all these interdisciplinary thinkers who are artists, scholars, um, sort of a mix of the two, the works progress people um, who had something called the water bar where they were just drinking different water from different places. They would be at the state fair. They had a physical location uh, just to educate people on different kinds of drinking water that Hmm. are coming from around us. So this place, I always tell people on our tours, I might be rambling a little bit, but I always tell people on our tours, the whole reason that you and I arguably are standing right here, now here would be Boom Island at the time, the whole reason we're standing here is arguably because of that waterfall that's right in downtown. And some people might say, well, which waterfall? Well, it's the only one on the entire Mississippi River that's still in its, uh, in its natural place. And not only for the industry that is the reason the city as we know it is here, but for thousands of years, uh, a hunting ground, a birthing ground for the Dakota people. Um, so we are, are all of the new engineering is pretty much undoing damage and more returning to, I don't want to say like adopting an indigenous paradigm because it's, it's, um, you know, it has, has to do with like 
being accountable for the damage and all, all of the ways that we've changed it as a society. So it's, it's a way of moving forward, but it more resembles indigenous ways of thinking and permaculture um, in a lot of cases. So That's what I thought was so interesting about the tour that I did, which was the City of Birds. And you gave such great explanations of what was happening. Like, as we paddled, first of all, I want to just say it was so beautiful. You get to see points of the city that you would never be able to see and vantage points that are just unbelievable. And just you see the city in a different light. Also, being on the Mississippi was confidence building. Um, I went with my 13-year-old son, too, and he thought it was one of the coolest things he's ever done. Um, he loves being on water anyway, but like really it, it was kind of a bonding thing for us and something mm. that he has kind of said like that he would like to do again. Um, but what I found most interesting is it just brought up history and social justice and so many different topics that you wouldn't think of when you go on like a typical tour or if you think of yourself in a boat you know, um, a kayak on a river. Um, and you even shared with us some really magical kind of secret places, um, even on the river that people I don't think typically know exist. Can you tell people what they can sort of expect on a typical paddle bridge tour? Yeah. Um, so when they book, uh, we need a, a minimum of 12 hours notice. Uh, those certain tours, um, if it's a great day, if it's an evening tour and you're just, you know, inspired to get out of the water day of, you're always welcome to give us a call just to see if there is uh, capacity. Um, but typically um, we take most of our bookings online. Um, and once you're booked day of, um, your guide will be in touch with you. Um, we have two different styles to our tour, out and back, and then somewhere you meet at um, a designated location, you get shuttled um, up to or uh, in, an, in the instance of one specific tour, um, to and from the launch uh, and takeout spots, uh, just depending on where they're located um, and just ease of meeting locations. Um, and so for our downriver paddles, uh, typically involve a shuttle from a meetup point to the launch point. You'll head downriver, uh, be met with the, the shuttle and a driver um, along with all of your guides uh, to get you back out, kind of congregate um, and head back to your vehicles. But the entire time that you're on the water, whether it's an hour, hour and a half, uh, one of our shortest experiences, the happy hour sunset, um, which is a light version of our Heart of Minneapolis tour, which goes in and out of Boom Island there, um, to our longer tours, the City of Birds, uh, the Mississippi River Gorge Adventure, and our newest one called Between Two Rivers, which is gonna be a completely St. Paul enclosed tour from Hidden Falls uh, Regional Park down to Harriet Island there. Um, and so we're just in the works of starting to plan some of the curriculum for that. Um, so depending on where you pass on the river, we adjust um, our style of guiding, some of the interpretation that we share, but often you're gonna get some history, some culture, um, how the river um, has changed over time and the river's role um, on our lives as it is today. Um, and then another thing we like to talk about um, is beyond the, the history of the river and why it's important to the forming of you know the Twin Cities Metro here as 
Beeves just touched on, is like what the river means to um, the indigenous people that called this land home for thousands of years before the settlers arrived. Um, and so giving a nod to the uh, Dakota names for so many of these places that we visit, um, trying to incorporate more of that language into our everyday dialogue um, mm -hmm. and connecting the past to the present to inform our future. Right. And, you know, it's, it's this perception within the myth of uh, or the legend of how you know what America means what the US means that like there were these indigenous people these you know we we like to honor what has been here for thousands of years I also just love to touch on like people are still here they're not they're not gone and they are they're fighting for community and for water rights and for so much so when when we uh, you know talk about these names it's in concerts it's in relationship with folks from that community um and there's not just one monolithic community there's we happen to have worked uh, quite a bit with a group called migazi who is um college preparatory career preparatory um with within technology um and green jobs and all sorts of uh, great stuff and also just like after school tutoring um and they're mostly affiliated with uh indigenous youth but that is everybody from dakota to uh, different tribes uh, who who aren't as much like centered around this area um uh given the history of moving tribes around that's complicated anyway but they even you know they have people from overseas um so the concept of indigeneity is um is something that you know is is very multifaceted uh but in terms of the reason you know that paddle bridge is there it's to get access to that river and to get people on it we envision you know people being able to use it but if you've uh if you've read, um, oh, who was it that coined Tragedy of the Commons? Is it Rachel Carson? Uh, I may be mis misremembering, but Rachel Carson, uh, great, great classic author in like early um, modern environmental movement thinking. But Tragedy of the Commons being like, okay, we have this beautiful outdoor resource. We're going to put everybody on it with no concept or intentionality of... Um, what what makes it go ecologically speaking so not that we are experts on that but we are trying to be listening to the way you know the, the lessons that we've learned from the river the lessons that people are speaking about who have lived on this land um and that's where some of those some of those you know more ways of thinking that are treating the land as a living relative um, really resonate with me but uh, in terms of getting people out on the river as guides, we're trying to be providing access. And uh, in order, it, it, we are providing access with the idea of stewardship, with intentionality, not only with safety for people, right? We do a paddle demo before every, every tour and we're out there with you. Uh, we like to say that, you know, there's, if you tip, it'll be a fun experience hopefully some people are just not gonna not gonna have fun through that even if it's uh you know super safe but we 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 make it safe right but we also want to think about all of these other these other histories and ecological factors that are going into um making the river a cleaner place because though it's much cleaner every decade we're we still have a long way to go before it's truly you know good for everyone downstream because we're upstream in Minneapolis-St. Paul before a lot of the tributaries join the river, and a lot of the 
a lot of it, um, a lot of the contamination is from agricultural runoff these days and over-subsidization of um, chemicals that don't need to be used as heavily as they are and not being regulated as much. So we can't write, we're not in the business of lobbying for those, those things, but we are in community. We're in concert with a lot of groups that are friends of the Mississippi River, um, Mississippi Watershed Management Org, which is right located right midway through our tour and they've helped fund a lot of community work we're trying to uh, identify that there is this great river community around locally here but also up and down the mississippi river and trying to uh, make those things front of mind when people are getting on the river here so that not we're not just going in the river in uh, a rental boat but we're getting out there for at least people's first maybe second time to get a little critical literacy of the river. You know, I, I like to say on the tour is sometimes the river is like this wily elder storyteller. Um, but the way that when we, when we uh, take out an old industrial, uh, something that maybe a dock would, a dock where a barge would pull up to in the past, when we take that out and make it a nice riverbank, after a few years, it looks like it's always been that way. So how do we both using the power of the internet, but also um, just using what we see, how do we pull back the curtain of time a little bit and give that, you know, take, tease out the story from that wily storyteller who's hiding the plot from us a little bit, right? I wish that listeners could actually see both of you talk because the passion is just poignant. I mean, it's really, I mean, in the way that you can express yourself and express your feeling, like you feel the feelings through your words of how much this means to you. And what I really appreciate is that you are a for-profit business and you're not like trying to like, um, you know, clog up the river with like a thousand kayaks, you know, and trying to just, it like you, you're intentional about, I just... How do you balance sort of the for-profit piece and, you know, the stewardship piece? We often um, hear remarks that we're one of the few um, for-profit businesses that functions very much like a nonprofit. People are surprised to learn this, um, but they love hearing about it because they love hearing about like, uh, and, and not only hearing, but seeing just how focused on our mission we are. Um, and that's what drives all that we do. And so um, to, to balance out being a business and building that river community, trying to be stewards of it, improve the accessibility and the um, equality of, of everyone who comes onto the river. Um, we offer scholarships for a certain number of our tours and also some of our education services. We do private lessons, um, group lessons by reservation. And, and for those, you can bring your own boat or rent one of ours. So um, if you're just looking to improve your own skills, improve your comfort in a new boat, we can work with you on that. Um, and we also offer um, courses um, from the American Canoe Association, which is really the big accrediting body. If you're going to be a guide um, in the U.S., if you have an ACA um, training certification or you've um, at least received some training um, from a, a trained instructor, then that's the standard to which 
really all guides are held. And so um, COVID really impacted the amount of uh, guides that are able to work in the Midwest. In general, it's harder to make a full-time career uh, as an outdoor educator in, in this region because there's just not the plethora of uh, sports and landscape for them like there is largely out west, um, but also um, in the southeast, or I'm sorry, in the northeast and um, um, southeast. Um, and so it's just generally harder to find certification bearing courses. And so um, we've also introduced those as well uh, for kayaking on the river. And so we offer scholarships to community members on an individual basis to participate in our weekend ACA courses and for groups looking to come out on the river that may not have the uh, means to do so or may be too scared to get on the river because they've never been introduced to it um, right you're if you're gonna come out and recreate it's probably because someone in your life brought you to a park uh, at some point in your life but for many uh, many kids and many individuals. That's just not the case. Um, it's not in their norm, and we all have different norms and customs. And so um, we also offer scholarships for our private tours where individuals can either nominate their own groups or another, um, and we can take up to 14 people out for a private uh, guided experience. We can either do just like one of our tours or it can be more of an education session um, to help people feel more comfortable, safe on the river so that it's a place that they want to return to because ultimately um, by uh, sparking interest, that's how you're going to get people invested for the long term in this river, in, in paddle sports, in building community. Um, and so we try to balance that by offering public tours to visitors and locals alike and reserving space even in our scheduling capacity like right now two days a week are held specifically for community programming and we accept both like inbound um, requests and we do a lot of outreach ourselves um, to be intentional and, and show that we're building that community we want to be here we want to have these relationships like how can we work together um, and so it's something that's really just like built into the structure of, of everything we do. And um, being that we work in a very scrappy industry, we find that only people who um, are willing to you know, work with that style, who, who really want this, uh, seek us out and, and come work with us. Um, and so really everyone who's um, been with Paddle Bridge uh, from its start or, or has joined since is here because they want to be. Mm -hmm. And I mean, really, again, you, you said it, it's about those relationships, um, because the first the first outreach might be just that one intrepid person that's sort of the head of their organization's like team building or planning or or are just, you know, it might not be that like official of an organization. Maybe it's just like we have like an after school group and like I think they'd really like it. They're scared, but we'll, you know, we'll get them out there. And then once we do that, then we have this relationship that can really be built. And then that's you become part of the that river network that mm -hmm. we're talking about. And then, you know, the more people that get literate in that way around, you know, what excites them about the river, then the more they share that, more people maybe come come through for both orgs and yeah so i think we 
we are still learning how to get really the most, um, those, those most authentic connections because relationships take time. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, and it might, um, be kind of, uh, a strain on a nonprofit organization to be like working, say on a grant on the side. So like we try to, we try to take on some of that work and really customize it to the group. Um, so yeah, please, uh, if, if you're out there and you got that group, that kids, kids group, or even schools, you know, a lot of schools might not have the funding, but just reach out to us and we, we, we want to, um, work with more of those custom scenarios because when we say curriculum for the tour, like we're planning that between two rivers curriculum, it really is. I mean, it doesn't feel necessarily like a, a class. It's not a script that we're sticking to. That's the same every time, but there are certain things that we really do. You know, like we've said, we value honoring, uh, acknowledging certain histories. And so there's a lot of there is a lot of thought that goes into that, and um, the more partners that we have with that, you know, it becomes almost like its own school. So that's in my mind, like I could do that every day with with a new different group, and then like you know, when there's a when there's a tour that wants to go out for profit, let's go. But um, you know, we'll we'll maybe build up to that in time. Yeah, easily, the most rewarding part um, of the work we do are. The, the days when I get to do more community focused work on the river, specifically with kids. Um, and just seeing someone go from being very shaky as they're getting into their kayak, um, being launched, learning how to stabilize, and then taking out at the end and just wishing they could stay out longer, or just like seeing kids splashing around mid tour after they've kind of gotten the feel for their boat, trusting that they're not going to tip, learning to trust their the, the fit of their. <laughs> PFD, even just teaching kids the basic skills of like how to fit a PFD um, so that you feel snug. Flotation device. Yeah. Personal flotation device. Also we, we, called a life jacket. <laughs> though we do try to stay away from life jacket okay. because they're not ultimately going to save oh, your life. So all right. PFD or life preserver, life you preserver. could say. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. Better. Um, uh. But life jacket is just, yeah, kind yeah. of widespread used um it's we want to believe it will yes yes yeah, right I mean, it does go that's the reason we like harp on that so much is that 90 over like around 90 percent. i think this was a statistic from a few years ago but around 90 percent of uh fatalities on on what in water related uh things are people not wearing a life jacket yeah. oftentimes it involves uh alcohol and and motors but we stay away from um both of those um for the are, you, are you putting on your authoritative <laughs> voice when reporting statistics there <laughs> uh, perhaps but uh, i mean it really is it, there is a reason you know when i get every other tour or every couple tours somebody that's like do we have to wear these and it's like and as soon as i say i just have to take a breath and they say oh yeah we get it yeah. you know because uh-huh. yeah, insurance huh. rules the world uh for one part but also in like a very basic uh, way it's statistically proven to to prolong life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so you have welcomed teachers, administrators, nonprofit leaders, anybody that has like groups that could um, that might be interested in accessing the river through Paddle Bridge, having one of these experiences, and also just people like any of our listeners right now who have just like an interest in potentially getting out on the river in a kayak with skilled um, instructors and guides uh, who can make sure that you have a safe and wonderful experience. Mm. 
if they want to contact you and figure out how to book something like this, what is the best way to do so? Yeah, if you're looking um, specifically for some of our uh, community outreach scholarship opportunities, paddlebridge.com, all one word, paddlebridge.com backslash community hyphen outreach. And then if you're looking to get in touch with us about um, custom tours to meet your needs um, or inquire about um, non nonprofit um, pricing, partnerships, anything like that, um, info at paddlebridge.com is going to be the best way to reach us. Send us an email, info at paddlebridge.com. Yeah, if you're just looking for to get on the river recreationally with us, uh, you know, you get a little bit it, we call it the concierge treatment you know for just our public facing tours where generally you're not going to have to step into the water some people insist on you know helping or you know making it the least amount of pushing into the water of the boats as possible but they want to step into the kayaks with dry shoes and end the tour with dry shoes yeah <laughs> so uh, in terms of that you know you still get you still get all of uh, the of the guiding uh, experience um, and we try to, and we also take photos for you. So you just go to paddlebridge.com, paddlebridge.com. Uh, please look us up on Instagram as well and Facebook, uh, just search paddlebridge or at paddle underscore bridge on Insta. But, uh, yeah, you know, we just, we love, we love to make a little chatter and Sparky's been really good at, uh, at figuring out that social media for all us dinosaurs here. Um, so, oh uh, you know, so it's, it's, uh, we, we, our bread and butter really is the public facing tours and we've really been putting a lot of effort into the the nonprofit and the community work um either in either case the mission is the same get people out on that river access stewardship and we strive for excellence with the guiding um so yeah just uh try it out see for yourself get out there sparky beeves Thanks for coming to We Do This For Fun. Don't forget to have fun out there. Thank you so much. Thank you. We Do This For Fun is brought to you by Boreal, a catalyst for wellness transformation inspired by the beauty of the North. Boreal helps people find and align with nature to power individual health and wellness. Wellness coaching, plant-based and outdoor cooking classes, camping wellness retreats, and more. Learn more at Boreal.com. That's B-O-R-E-A-L-L-E.com. It would mean so much to us if you would follow and subscribe to the We Do This For Fun show page on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's easy. Just hit the plus sign or click on follow. I know many of you read reviews for outdoor gear to help make purchases for your outdoor adventures. The more reviews, the more likely you are to purchase or take a brand seriously. It's like that with podcasts, too. We'd love for you to give us a five-star review, and after you've done that, just share a quick comment about what you like about We Do This For Fun. Please share our episodes. Help us make an impact, because everyone deserves to have fun out there.